0: This is a great passage. Let's see, First Kings 18, most of the chapter is about this incident where it's like one, here's Elijah here, one on 450 plus another 400, one on 850. Yeah, that's a, that's a big deal, isn't it? But if God's on your side, what does it matter? <laughs> you know, in that case, it's like if you're the only genuine Christian and you find yourself at a large religious gathering and the religion's strong and powerful but has a false gospel, doesn't matter, Right? You know, and that's the case here. He's following the true God, they're following the false, and he's going to do some things to demonstrate the authenticity of the God he serves against the futility of the God, false God they serve, and they're going to see it clearly demonstrated that they're wasting their time. That's basically the gist of the whole deal. We're wasting our time following this false God, and we need to follow the minority here, this prophet, and follow his God, who happens to be the God who made us a nation in the first place. And that's basically what happens. So here he is, Elijah, he's there. He's troubling us, and he says, I'm not the one troubling. 2 verses to verse uh, 24 here. Then said Elijah unto the people, I... Even I only remain a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let them, therefore, give us two bullocks. That would be a castrated bull or an ox. Let them, therefore, give us two bullocks and let them choose one bullock for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on wood and put no fire under it and i will dress the other bullock and lay it on wood and put no fire under and call you on the name of your gods and i will call on the name of the lord and the god that answereth by fire let him be god and all the people answered and said it is it's kind of like let's well, going to have a showdown you pick out two bullocks do these male bulls castrated bulls and we're going to sacrifice them. There's going to be a sacrifice here. And you know, and cut it in pieces, lay it on your wood, for a f- as if it's going to be burned in a fire. But no, put no fire there. Have your altar there, chunks of this bullock, laying out there, and call on your God to accept the offering. They believed Baal was the God of the nature and thunder. Adam referred a little bit to that, that he controlled nature Thunder and rain so that it would come on the earth so that there'd be fertility. He's a God of fertility. Call on him. He'll uh, answer with fire or thunder and accept it. And we'll say, that's the real God. And I will do the same. Get my, You pick out my bullock, I'll cut it up, put it on the wood. In his case, he's going to build a five-stone altar, have the wood, have a trench about it. And we'll see that in a minute. He says, and we're going to each call on our God, the one that answers by fire. Can we make an agreement, people? Again, okay, he's saying to them, the one that answers by fire, can that be the God we're going to follow? Yes, that sounds good to me. You got an agreement. I would shake all of your hands, but that's too many. No, he didn't say that, but they agreed. And That's what's going to happen. I read about, let me tell you a little story. Have you heard of Watchman Knee? How many of you have heard of Watchman Nee? Raise your hand. I like this guy. From 100 years ago. Well, he was born in the early 1900s. He died in 1972 alone in a Chinese communist prison. He was 20, last 20 years of his life, the Chinese communists had him, had him jailed. He died alone. No funeral. They um, created him. His niece, his grandniece showed up and took his ashes. There's an interesting story at the end of his life, but he was a Christian, influential Christian in China. I'm going to read you an incident. Now listen to this. This is kind of a modern-day scenario of Elijah and the prophets of Baal that he experienced. Listen to this story. In his book called Sit, Stand, Sit, Walk, Stand, he describes a preaching mission that he went to off of an in an island off of the South China coast. Okay? A lot of little islands out there, and there's some Chinese there. There were seven in his, in his ministry group, including, listen to this, a 16-year-old Christian teenager named Wu, Brother Wu, W-U. The island was fairly large, containing about 6,000 homes. Watchman Nee had a contact there. It was an old schoolmate who was a headmaster of a village school. When, they, when he and his team showed up, his old schoolmate refused to house them because he found out they were Christians that were coming to preach. So he had to look around for lodging. He found lodging with a Chinese herbalist who became their first convert on this preaching mission. But however, the preaching seemed quite fruitless on this island because Watchman Nee discovered that on that island, the people were dedicated to an idol they called Te Wang. Te Wang. They were convinced that this idol had power because on the day of this idol's festival each year and parade, the weather would always be perfect. The 16-year-old new convert that was with Watchman Knees Preaching Group spoke up at a meeting and said, um, when is the procession this year to the people? And they said, it is fixed for January 11th at 8 in the morning. Then he said, "I promise you that it will certainly rain on the 11th." And at that there was outcries uh, there was outbursts of cries from the crowd. That's enough. We don't want to hear any more preaching. If there is rain on the 11th then your God is God. Watchman Nee wasn't there for that little meeting. So maybe he wanted to muzzle this teenager, I don't know. But that teenager spoke up to all these natives and said that. He wasn't there, but he found out about it. He had been elsewhere in the village when this confrontation had taken place. Upon being informed about it, he saw that the situation was serious and called the group to prayer. On the morning, so this is early January, finally the morning of the 11th comes, there was not a cloud in the sky. So it seemed like it was going to be perfect. But during prayer time for breakfast, sprinkles began to fall, and these were followed by heavy rain. The worshipers of this idol, Te Wang, were so upset that they placed it in a sedan chair and carried it outdoors, hoping this would stop the rain. Then the rain increased. After only a short distance, the carriers of the idol stumbled and fell, dropping the idol on the ground, fracturing its jaw and left arm. Soon after, a number of young people noticed all that and as a result ended up turning to Christ as they saw this rain coming in answer to prayer. However, the elders of the village began to make divination and said, also said, well, the wrong day was chosen. The proper day of the procession, they said, should have been on the 14th of January. And that's what they told Watchman Nee and his group. When Nee and his friends heard this, they again went to prayer, asking for rain on the 14th and for clear days between now and then so they could preach. That afternoon of the 14th, the sky cleared. No, I'm sorry. That afternoon of the 11th, the sky did clear again. And on the good days that followed, there were 30 converts between the 11th and the 14th. Of the crucial test day, the 14th, finally comes. Watchman Nee says, The 14th broke and it was another perfect day. And we had good meetings. But as the evening approached, we met again at the appointed hour. We quietly brought the matter to the Lord's remembrance. And not a minute late, his answer came with torrential rain and floods as before. The power of the idols over the islanders was broken. The enemy was defeated believing prayer had brought a great victory. Conversions followed and the impact on the servants of God who were there witnessing his power continued to enrich their Christian service from then on. Now that's, that, is a, that is similar to Elijah who this first happened to. Elijah, let's walk through this and, and, we'll, and you'll see some similarities. First of all, here's Israel. Samaria, this is southern area. This is where Judah is. This is Israel, the northern kingdom that was truly following Baal. This is their capital. This is a secondary palace that Ahab and Jezebel had in Jezreel. Um, Elijah, remember, was fed by ravens over here at the brook Cherith. Later on, God said, run up to Zarephath. I got a widow that's going to feed you up there during the famine, right under the nose of most Baal worshipers, kind of in their face. And that's what he does. Finally, he confronts He confronts, um, Elijah confronts Ahab, tells him there's not going to be rain for a while because that that happened earlier. But they confront again, and now the showdown is over here in Mount Carmel. And When it's done, he's going to run before him in Jezreel, and there's more to the story. But it's in this area of Mount Carmel, okay? Quickly, I'll walk through these. Sorry, I don't have a really clear picture, but this is just a little sample of the moment, okay? The climax moment! When fire comes down, all right. Quickly, distinctions of a true prophet. We see Elijah, what? He confronts kings. He's a preacher who will confront the kings and not compromise with the kings. Sometimes it's intimidating to talk to somebody in power. Okay? You don't want to be disrespectful, but if there's some burning truth of God in your heart and you know it needs to be said, we have to learn to say it. This guy was called to speak right to kings. As we said before, we want, I hope our president has some advisors that are Christians around him that will speak truth to him. You know, John F. Kennedy was witnessed to by Billy Graham. Billy Graham witnessed to a lot of, not that he was right on everything, but Billy Graham witnessed to a lot of our presidents. But I remember he witnessed to uh, John F. Kennedy, I think maybe within months or weeks of him being shot. He was a tenacious uh, Catholic. Uh, Kennedy was. But we needed to confront kings. Uh, He was commonly blamed. True messengers are commonly blamed for problems. Remember when Elijah shows up and meets Ahab? Ahab's like, ah, there's the guy that's troubling everything. You're the fault of why all this stuff. And what is his reply back? I'm not the fault. True prophet communicates the truth. He says, the reason we're having all this is because you... And your family are following Baal, you've forsaken the commandments of God, and there's a consequence for that. Sin has consequences, both you know, in this life and then the next. The nations that, that follow godless ways are going to reap that. We're going to reap um, some of the godless policies that we embrace. We're going to reap the results of that. Um, so much could be said right there. A true prophet calls for uh, communicates the truth. He calls for a decision. Remember when he shows up here, and he and he says to Elijah, uh, Elijah and Ahab, speak. And Elijah says, "All right, to Ahab, just go ahead and call all the prophets and the the ones in the grove, all the ones that have been pampered and, and babied by Jezebel, and bring them up let's just have, let's just chat this, let's just have this out, not chat this out, let's have this out. And uh, Ahab says, "All right, then, we'll get them." And then it says, I love what he says when Elijah came to see the people. Look at verse 20, 21. Elijah shows up on the scene here. It's kind of like this probably. Shows up on the scene. He shows up on the scene, a scene like this. He says, how long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, then follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him, not a word. This is an interesting point. Here's one man, his life his name means my God is the Lord. My God is Yahweh. My God is the Lord. His name means something. It's saying something, who the true God is. And he's approaching all these false worshipers. And he, when he approaches them, he says, hey, make a decision. If it's Baal, go after him. If it's the Lord, follow him. You're, you're kind of stuck and halted between two opinions. He's calling for him to make a decision. I like what um, a Jim Elliott, who was martyred in South America, said. This was a prayer of his. his, his he said that his wife re- reported this. He prayed, "Father, make me, make of me a crisis man. Bring those eye contact to decision. Let me not just be a milepost on the road. Make me a fork." that all men must turn one way or another upon facing Christ in me. Did you hear what he's saying? Some of us, I am, some of us, maybe myself, I'm just a milepost. They pass, oh, that, there's that. Oh, yeah, there's that. You know, milepost in the road when people meet me. He's saying, I want to live my life in such a way as when people come to me, they, they see Christ in me, and it's like, oh, this way or that way. A fork in the road. That's a great prayer. He calls, he's saying, I want to be a person's my life is in such a way that it calls people to a decision. I like that prayer. I want to attain to that testimony. Well, that's how that's how this prophet was. He's a man who calls for a decision. He shows up to the crowd and says, make a decision, people. You know, we're like that in America. We're like, Well, well, I kind of want to be this, but maybe I kind of want to be that, and you know, um. And we're just like that, we wishy-washy. All right, now let's go to another thing. He comprises a minority. Remember, he t- when he stands before all the people, he's like, I'm the only one here that remains a prophet of the Lord, and you got all these other prophets. He's solo. There were some other prophets of the Lord, and some that, some that he knew about, some he didn't know about, people who didn't bow the knee. But they weren't there on the scene. He's like, as far as I know, I'm the only one. Sometimes I see things happen like uh, sometimes I feel like now to be honest I don't feel like our church witnesses enough like I want to witness more I want to witness more as a church find out means and venues to give out the gospel but there's other times where like maybe we're door knocking or witnessing and, and I know it's the right thing to do and I start thinking to myself why aren't there a hundred churches out here doing this. There's a hundred churches in the community. And then the and the country's going to hell and we're tolerating all this godless liberalism. Why aren't more people? And I'm just a drop of the bucket. And I think that's kind of like how Elijah was. He's like, I'm the only one out here. But there were some hiding in comfortable caves. And so I feel like sometimes some of our churches and our religions are a nice little, nice little venue within a cave. But like our Christianity has to confront the culture. We have to confront people individually. I think that's the most effective way is go one-on-one, 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 everywhere. But it's still got to be a confrontation. And sometimes we're just the minority. Not that I relish it, but it's just the case. Um, and then now he calls out the futility of false religions. This is where he gets sarcastic. This is divine sarcasm. So if you like sarcasm, most of the time it's probably not good. Here's your chance to get on board and just relish this right here. All right? So here he is. Uh, they do their thing. So the scene is they have, this is, this is Elijah's altar that he built for the Lord. But there was another one, right? What does it say there? Let's read it. <laughs> um, Verse 25, Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one bullock for yourselves, dress it first, for you are many, call on your gods, put no fire under there. Verse 26, they took the bullock which was given them, they dressed it, that means they got it all prepared, doesn't mean they put clothes on it, and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. Can anybody even talk that long? You're like, yes, I know people who can talk that long, Pastor. Not that many. Okay. But these guys are like, call, they're speaking and praying from morning till noon to a false God. The Bible says they did it from morning to noon. Oh, Baal, hear us. But there was no voice nor any that answered. And they leaped upon the altar which was made. They're jumping. Oh, Baal, hear us. O Baal, hear us. That's what they're doing. Maybe Elijah's over there leaning against a rock, like chewing on some straw. Hey, boys! Here's his Here's the script right here. He mocked. Verse 27 It came to pass at noon Elijah mocked him and said, Hey, boys! Uh, oh, that part's in the Hebrew, right? No. Cry aloud, for he's a God. Cry out. Wait a minute. Maybe he's, uh, he's talking, he's busy talking. Or he's, he's pursuing. That means he there's, there's <laughs> pursuing could mean he's, he's going on a hunting trip or sometimes the word's translated to describe somebody going to the bathroom. No joke. He's busy. Maybe he's running over to the bathroom. Or he's in a journey, He's on a trip. He just didn't leave his message system set up. Well, or maybe he's sleeping. Peradventure he sleepeth and he must be awakened. Do you, you see what he's saying? He's, he's, showing the, he's showing a human, humanized uh, explanation for their false god. Well, maybe he's just not around. Here, y'all. Maybe he's busy. Maybe he can't hear. Maybe he's asleep. Go wake him up. You know what? This, this All this sarcasm has a, a Godward push. We don't want to have sarcasm just to get a thrill. Listen to me, please. We're good at sarcasm. Right? I am. This has got a a purpose and a push toward it. It's getting them to see this is absolutely futile. This is a waste of time. Now, do you ever think about that? Think about some religions around us. And you're like, what are you doing? I mean, I've seen certain, there's a multitude of Catholic things they do, and I'm like, I'm not trying to be mean to anybody, but I'm like, that is an absolute, utter waste of time. What are you doing? The march and the, all the frilly stuff and the overly fancy things, I'm going, the vain repetition, and you're going, what does it do? Um, you know, we, we're doing, you know what we're studying Wednesday night? Pretty much everybody's here. We're studying different religions, and you start getting you're like, what are they doing all that vain repetition traditions of men and there's not a God that hears them at best it would be the God of this world that would maybe give a response to deceive them so he's like guys well well, maybe he can't hear you and then it says they ramped it up verse 28 after they get mocked by him they ramped it up Ah! so what do they start doing no bail here. They're bloody. They're going bloody. Now. Verse 28. They cried aloud and cut themselves after their manner with knives and lancets till blood gushed out upon them. And when it came to pass, when midday was past, they prophesied, they're proclaiming, until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, that there was neither voice nor any to answer, nor any that regarded. Let's just think about that. The point is, he's doing all this stuff to call out their futility. And it didn't matter how much they ramped it up. It didn't matter how sincere they were. Nobody's, nobody's answering to Baal. Nobody's going to answer to Mary. Nobody's going to answer to the so-called God of the, Je- of the Jehovah's Witnesses or of the Mormon church Or the Allah of Islam, they're not going to answer. There's none that regarded. And he says, they're not answering. He says, the, the Bible says, neither any that regarded. He's trying to help them see there's futility in this. It's a waste of time. Again, just to back up a little bit. I want my life, I want my relationship with God. And you should want this too. See, I want to be an Elijah of sorts where, you know, I'm not a super Christian, but I know the Lord and I follow the Lord enough to where his answers show up in my life. I may, I may not be able to stop, change the whole entire weather pattern, but I want it to where somebody sees something answered in my life, right? Don't you want that? Don't you want somebody to be able to see that, hey, I maybe he's following the God of Elijah too. I want that in contrast to the futility of some of our other fellow Americans that are following false ways and false religions. The next thing we see about a true prophet is that he's candid in his ways for God. Candid. Now, here's what I mean. You see this moment. They've done all their cutting in in agony and the evening's coming. And so Elijah gets up, verse uh, um, 30. Look at verse 30. Elijah gets up, said unto all the people, come near to me. Get over here, everybody, come on, come on, check this out, check this out. All the people came near, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the Lord of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two measures of seed, And he put the wood in order and cut the bullocks in pieces and laid them on the wood and said, fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice. Now he's going to have a sopping wet deal here. It's hard to get wet wood to burn, especially if you douse it this many times. Verse 34, he said, do it again the second time. That is, pour four barrels with water on it. Do it again. And they did it the second time. And he said, do it the third time. And they did it the third time. And the water ran round about the altar and he filled the trench also with water. Wow. So here's what he's doing. Pay attention to what he's doing. He called the people. There was a bigger crowd than this little tiny snippet here. Hey, everybody come check this out. This is the point. He's like, this is no magic show. There's no trick up my sleeve. The water here is not uh, flammable. You guys go get the water. I don't, know if, I don't even know if they got it from nearby, which is precious, or the Mediterranean Sea, which is maybe ten miles or less. Go get it. You go get. It. Bring it. Bring it over here. You guys do it. All right. Do it again. Pour it. In. Four barrels. Another four barrels. Another four barrels. Now let's do some more around the trip. Just soak it. So everybody see. Y'all see that? Look. Come look at this. Check this out. This is a this is a good point for us. And it, it For me, is that my Christianity, my, my following of God, should just be like, this is who I am. I'm not going to fake anything. This is my God. I, I don't have to manipulate something to make God look like he, he does little tricks. It's like if, I, I, you know, I, this is the way that Paul said, I'm going to read 2 Corinthians. This is how Paul said it. Second Corinthians 4, Paul said this, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. I like that. Paul's just saying, look, this is thanks to God He let us have this ministry. So what we do is we walk just what you see is what you get. Our ministry is is honest. There's no tricks and um, uh, you know smoke and mirrors to what we do. God is who He is. I'm not going to embellish it or diminish it. So that's what Elijah. He's 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 candid. Come out and look at this, folks. Let's see what's going to happen here. They soak that meat, that wood, and that trench, and it's soaking, dripping. It's really wet. We have a little wood pile out here. By the way, anybody who wants a little bit of pecan wood, you can take time. And the pecans tonight, remember? All right. So anyways, uh, so sometimes that wood gets a little wet and it takes a little while to burn it. Well, I mean, this is sopping wet. So if something was going to happen, if fire was going to ignite, it would have been against nature, right? Somebody would have to overpass the laws of nature and it would be the God who makes those laws who would do it. All right, let's move along here. Look at this. He's number number 6. What are we number 8? We see the next thing in this drama that he's concerned with God's glory, I didn't have enough to write it, and with man's conversion. He's concerned with God's glory and man's conversion. So, here's you see that in this prayer, he's got the whole sacrifice all set. This is awesome. This is where that kind of like that 16-year-old teenager woo. He made his deal. He put himself out there. And then now he and his team had to pray. Okay, God, you better show up. That 16-year-old teenager opened up his fat mouth. So now, <laughs> now I don't know if that's what they said. That's probably what I would have prayed. Oh, boy. Now that's what Elijah's doing. I think he knew what God was. I think he, God already showed him probably to do all this stuff right here. Oh, Lord. So he's praying. He's praying now. The, concern, the issue with his prayer. Look at how concerned he is and what he's concerned about. Verse 36, it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, now he is this—he's specifying the God, not just any God. O Lord, Yahweh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel. Now let's stop right there. As he's praying out loud, all the 850 around him are descendants of those guys but they've fallen away. Remember how Adam was talking about first generation, second generation, second generation sometimes goes away from the God of their parents. He's praying and naming the God of these people's parents. Oh Lord, Yahweh God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Israel, let it be known, let it be known this day that I'm the best prophet around. No, he doesn't say that. I like this. Let it be known this day that thou art the God in Israel and I am thy servant and then I have done all these things at thy word. Verse 37 Hear me, O Lord, hear me that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. This is a God, he's concerned with God, I want you to be glorified, I want you to be amplified in their eyes right now, and I'm praying that you'll use this to turn their heart back to you. What is he concerned about? He's concerned about the same thing every New Testament Christian would be concerned about. I'm living for God's glory and the conversion of people, right? I'll never have something this dramatic, but whatever I do for the Lord and pray for the Lord and say, God, just... Glorify yourself through this moment in my life and bring somebody to you. That's basically the same thing we're doing in our platform of life. God, I'm going to work today, and uh, and I got to talk to a bunch of people and just just glorify yourself through my the way I present myself and Lord, maybe use this to bring somebody to yourself, you know. And that's that's what his concern is. His concern is with God's glory, not himself. He did want them to see that I'm just your servant, I represent the true and living God, but it wasn't about getting some notoriety and more hits on his page. Hear me, O Lord. look at then, oh, look at that verse 37. "Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, the wood and the stones and the dust." and licked up the water that was in the trench. That's really cool the way it's said, isn't it? It's like, it wasn't just like, oh, you know, there's those charred rocks. No. And no soggy ground. It just went, wow, all of it. All 12 stones. All the wood. Just everything. Whoa, there's nothing left. Wow. And look at the reaction when all the people saw it. Verse 39. They fell on their faces and they said, The Lord... Yahweh they're saying his personal name he is God the Lord he is God that's what Elijah's name means then Elijah said unto them take take the prophets of Baal let not one of them escape and they took them and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there this is the ninth point he is a true prophet who complies with God's word After he does this, the people, many of the people said, Oh, God's the real one, Yahweh. And then the prophets of Baal like, Oh. And he does what the Bible says to do. He does what they were told as a nation to do. What were they told as a nation to do for false prophets? There's a civil law in Deuteronomy 13, 1-5 that basically says, if you've got a false prophet among you and he's proven to be a false prophet, kill him. So he's fulfilling God's word. Well, I guess we're going to have to do this. So, and he gets his country involved. It wasn't just him. He said to them, the people that said we're on God's side, they took, he said, take them, take the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. They took them and Elijah brought them down to the Kishon and slew them there. 850, just kill them. Wow. They say that this other brook, Kishon, they say that that it flows, they say that, that it flows kind of this way <laughs> back towards where Jezebel's from. Wow, complies with God's word. You know, there's certain things that are just like, ah, I don't want to do that part of God's word. <laughs> No, no, don't get confused. We this particular part was for them as a structured nation. Doesn't mean we need to go be killing people in false religions right. in this in our situation. That's a dispensational difference here, okay? But there's other parts of God's word that directly apply to us that sometimes we're like, ah, I don't want to do that part. It's kind of like I'm at the I'm at the Bible buffet. I want to pick that, but I'm not gonna pick that. The Bible's not a buffet, right? It's a a mandate from God to us, and we have to take all of it in its proper context, of course. All right, last point. He correctly prophesies. Well, verse 41, Elijah said unto Ahab, Get thee up and eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. He cast himself down upon the earth. This is almost a whole nother message, but let's just read through it. He cast himself down upon the earth, put his face between his knees, and said to his servant, go up now and look toward the sea. He's watching and praying here. And he went up and looked and said, there's nothing. And he said, go again, seven times. So... Elijah's up the caramel. He's just praying. God, bring the rain. God, bring the rain. The Bible says in James that he prayed earnestly. It wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain. And he prayed earnestly again that it would rain, and it does. He's God, oh Lord, please send the rain. Please send the rain. Please send the rain. As uh, a further confirmation here, and so his his eight, seven times the servant goes and looks. Nothing. Don't see any clouds coming. Comes back. There's nothing. He goes back and forth. Whoa, boy, that's a long time, isn't it? You start thinking, man, did I do something wrong here? He's praying earnestly. Wow. Came to pass, verse 44, at the seventh time that he said, Behold, there riseth a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. Now, it could be, it's like, oh, it's just like a little. Elijah, that's all I see is just like a little. And Elijah got all about that one. Look what he says. He said, Go up and say to Ahab, prepare thy chariot and get thee down that the rain stop. Not. You better get, tell Ahab, you better get going because it's going to really rain. His, his servant was probably like, Wait a minute, it's just a little cloud. What are you talking about? But he knew God was starting to get this thing going here. Verse 45, and it came to pass in the meantime, things quickly changed, that the heaven was black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. So this is the oops So they're up here praying. And this is the prophet. Did all this. The king saw it, so he knows who the true God is. Doesn't mean he's gonna follow him. And the prophet says, Go ahead and get down to Jezreel, back to your other palace. You better go quickly, it's gonna start raining. And he does. And what does it do? What does it say of this dude right here—he's like—he doesn't look like he's Olympic uh, material, does he? But if God's with him, you know, God's doing another supernatural thing to punctuate his point to these godless people or these false worshippers. So what is happening? Elijah runs in front of him. What does it say again? Verse forty-six: The hand of the Lord was on Elijah. He girded up his loins and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. I wonder if even Ahab was on, in the chariot. I'm like, who is that guy? I mean, there's some, there's some dust. He's dusting up. That's, that's Elijah? And he's running fast. Isn't that pretty cool? How many of you like to run fast? Would like to run real fast? Nobody? Aha! Not because you're getting a spanking. We'll find you. You want to run fast, Quinn? Yeah? Yeah, he's running real fast. It's beyond human normality, right? Hey, it's just God saying, look, I want people to know that they're serving the real, they got the real deal with me. And it goes into another, another subject, which we'll look at in a couple of weeks. True God, The true God. Elijah's saying to the people, are you going to continue following the false God who's proven to be both impotent and unreal when it matters? Think about it, when it really matters, people really do cry to a God want to help him cry to the true God eight Elijah saying you know keep following this false God I've shown you who's real or are you gonna will you not follow the true God who has your best interest at heart isn't that what's happening in this story at, at one, on one hand you have a bunch of baal worshipers that shouldn't be there in Israel Israel's fallen God so what does God do the true God brings the punishment of the famine. So they have to eventually recognize the true God is punishing us, and the true God is also relieving us of punishment by sending the rain, and it was nothing to do with Baal. Baal didn't punish us, and Baal didn't relieve us. The true God, I need to follow him. He has my best interests at heart. Yeah, it's also interesting as a way of symbolism what had to happen before there was a blessing had to be a sacrifice, right? There's a sacrifice before there's a blessing. That's like with us as Christians. The reason we're blessed by God is because we trust in the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he brings in all the blessings of God we need. I want to read this too, and we'll wind this down. I read about this army chaplain. And I found out this guy's a Baptist, independent Baptist. I think some... Well, never mind, I I think I know some chaplains who know him. I read this in a book. This was in the early 2000s. An important classified mission in the Middle East was assigned to task force of the 101st Airborne Division. Its commander gave orders to the brigade to carry out the mission on three different occasions. But all three times, bad weather forced them to abort the effort. The next day, their brigade, at their brigade update briefing, the commanding colonel summoned a chaplain. The chaplain's name is Mike Shelman, and you can look him up, by the way. He went to Maranatha Baptist University and Seminary, and uh, he pastored a Baptist church, a couple Baptist churches in his time. They summoned this chaplain at the time, named Mike Shelman to report to the front of the room. He reports to the front of the room, and the point is they, they can't get this mission done because of the weather. Three times now. The colonel explained his frustration with the failed mission to the chaplain. He said, chaplain, I give up. There's nothing I can do. I want you to pray to God for good weather so we can carry out this important mission. Give us a weather prayer right now. chaplain shellman cried out to the lord on behalf of their task force and out loud reminded god of his response to elijah's cry for the weather and how he could do the same for them today right there in the middle east after his prayer the colonel thanked him let the chaplain go and said, let's see if God answers the chaplain's prayer. Well, on the following day, the Air Force weather reports were not encouraging for the base or for the mission location, but the Colonel yet ordered the preparations to begin. Suddenly, God cleared up the weather in both locations, the departure and the arrival spot. The mission was successfully carried out with no casualties. The next evening, at the brigade update briefing, the colonel again summoned in the chaplain to report to the front of the room. (coughs) Chaplain, God answered your weather prayer. Our mission went forth, and I am awarding you an Army Commendation Medal for your prayer and work. Then he listened to what he said. Then the, the colonel read this, the following, quote, The Department of the Army has awarded the Army Commendation Medal to Chaplain Michael T. Shellman, Task Force Brigade Chaplain, for outstanding support to Task Force Rakhassan, for successfully petitioning the Lord God of Elijah to provide sufficient weather to enable our task force to accomplish their mission, unquote. (laughs) And the colonel pinned the medal on the chaplain's dusty uniform and asked him to address the commander's. And he did. He said some things to the group. He told of God's power to change the weather, but more importantly, his power to change lives through salvation. And then he prayed and thanked God for answering their prayers. Isn't that a blessing? That's good. We need, that. We need scenarios like that again, don't we? And we can be that.